Let's ask his blessing on this time. Father in heaven, we come to you again as we've been doing this morning several times in the past. And I just I pray for this service. I pray for our hearts. I pray for your word. I pray that in spite of limitations and perhaps the distractions in our minds, that you would be pleased to speak to us in your word, that your spirit would work in my heart and our hearts. I pray that it is the Lord Jesus who will be honored, exalted, glorified. Thank you for the focus this morning as we have been reminded of your love, which is an active reality that you have undertaken to provide such a great salvation at such expense. And we are just, we are humbled beyond words to think that you would do that for us. And we are the recipients of such great love. So we thank you. Thank you for this time. Pray that you would be using these thoughts and uh, the things that we're looking at this morning to make us more like our Savior and that his name would be exalted more and more. We're in some very trying times. I was talking about that uh, yesterday just to uh, several people that went through the line. I don't bring the subject up usually, but sometimes it comes up. And it, it is true, a lot of people are concerned for the things that are going on. And yet we know that you are on the throne, and that while uh, things may be somewhat haphazard in the, as we look around us, yet the throne is stable and solid. You are doing your work and bringing about your purpose and your plan. And we want to cooperate with you and to be used by you to accomplish your will in these things and in these days. And so we just pray that you would be working in us and through us. And we ask it in Jesus' name for thanksgiving. Amen. All right, we're starting chapter 3, and we started the other day to look at chapter 3 in Colossians. Paul is writing in this letter to believers, believers that he's never met, believers that have come under the sound of the gospel, one of those, I don't know if you'd call Trappist a mentor, but he was one who sat under the ministry of Paul and came to know the Lord, and so he has been sharing the gospel with friends back in the area of Colossa and Laodicea and a church is formed and so he's come now to visit Paul who is in Rome who is in prison that's about a 1300 mile trip that he's made to visit Paul in, in the jail in Rome and so and he comes back to just relate what's going on with the believers because there are some things that he's maybe looking reading between the lines but whatever that there are some things that may uh, are, are concerned to him. And so Paul is writing a letter now to the church uh, to try to help them. And he, he mentions in that letter that one of the first things is he's very thankful for what God is doing. Gratitude is a byproduct, I believe, of a heart that knows the Lord. I, I don't think that we can really gripe and complain a lot as believers because he is so good to us. He's we, we talk about uh, what he's doing in the world and doing among people, but he has poured out 
infinite mercy and grace on our lives. And we are so fortunate and so blessed. And so gratitude is there as Paul prays for the church, thanks the Lord for what he's doing. And uh, in that chapters one and two, one of the things he does is he focuses on Christ and he expounds on the preeminence of Christ and he uplifts and exalts his name as the creator and the sovereign and and uh, he relates how he is willing to suffer hardship for the sake of the gospel that uh, the greatness of our Lord and his sacrifice uh, it makes him very glad to share and to suffer as he's been doing for the gospel and um, it does remind us I think that um, the ministry down here does um, involve work and sacrifice and prayer and effort and um, yet to the degree that we serve the Lord and sacrifice for the Lord and give to him we see his uh, blessing on that and seeing a kind of a corresponding, I don't know if that's the right word, um, blessing on top of our efforts and stuff. And it isn't that we are just, I don't want to leave the idea that we are working our way into the kingdom, but he does call us to bear fruit, to be involved in good works. And so what Paul is now, um, he's warning He's been talking about being warning the church about the philosophy and things of this nature. One of the struggles is with Jewish legalism and Jewish festivals and the worship of angels. And so he's been going through those things and now he's coming to the point uh, to you know, kind of a practical side of Christianity. It's, you know, a lot of times in the, the letters, the epistles, there'll be a doctrinal side, then there'll be a practical side. And so He's coming into that practical side there of the Christian life, and he's going to be talking about things in the Christian life, like putting off the old man and putting on the new man and walking in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and calling in his calling in our lives. And so we started that last week to just talk a little bit about that, that walk. We've mentioned passages um, to talk about being well, like Galatians 5 where he says that those that belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. We talked about that in the passions. I talk about that a lot and I don't know whether it's just an indication that I have a hard time dying to self which I do or whether it's an indication that the Lord is just using me to speak to your hearts about that but uh, putting Christ first, denying self taking up the cross and following him, uh, walking in the spirit. If we live by the spirit, we want to walk in the spirit. Those things are struggles for me. And there, there are, there, it is easy for me to get my eyes off the Lord and onto myself and the things that I like. You understand what I'm saying? And I don't mean to, I'm not trying to paint a depressing picture, but it's just, it's just a struggle. I want to be transparent and not make you think that, that I'm sitting up here on some kind of throne or whatever that you can never reach. That's not absolutely not true. And so um, Paul talks about that, talks about being crucified with Christ uh, and that we um, walk with him and, and, and those things in Galatians 2.20. And we looked at those things before, and I don't want to belabor that, but he goes on talking about that, not being, if you want to be his disciple, you must put it first and, 
put it before family and other things than that. And it doesn't mean when he says that, that you're to hate your wife or hate your kids. It just means that Jesus should come first. That's not a popular gospel. And people preach uh, the gospel, which is talks about loving Jesus and, and believing in him. But the gospel does also tell us to die to self and to put him first. And uh, we just need to be honest with that, not only with other people, but even more with ourselves. And to, to realize the cost, and Luke 14 talks about that, the cost of discipleship. Jesus said, my kingdom is really not of this world. And uh, so that we are we are following a savior who was rejected and uh, he's not wasn't popular with the Jewish people, but he is the Lord of glory and he is the king. And we are so, so privileged. So we are called those who struggle. We're called overcomers in the New Testament, uh, in, the, in the book of Revelation. Those who are able, um, not in our strength, but God has called us to overcome the distractions and the temptations and the lusts uh, and the, the, the things that try to detour us, we are able to overcome those things and to put, do you understand what I'm saying? Put Christ first. And I don't, I don't mean to be depressing about that, but it's, it's true. And so uh, it's necessary. So anyway, we've looked at these passages and we are coming down to the point, I guess, of recognizing that there is a war going on in us, a, a, a battle going on. Peter said, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from fleshly lust, which war with the soul. There's this, this battle that we have. And so we come down to the very end of the second chapter of Colossians and introducing us to chapter, verse 1 of chapter 3, where Paul introduces us in verse 20 of chapter 2. If you have died, or you could say since you've died with Christ, uh, to the very elemental principles of the world. Why is if you're living in the world, do you submit to this decrees? And so he's just closing out by saying, don't follow, don't be swallowed up with all the Jewish legalism and the standards and things like that. And uh, following human traditions and human religions uh, or human passions, but put Christ first. And then our text, and I'll read it to you, beginning in verse one of chapter three, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. That's a good passage. It starts out, therefore, and um, commentators, John is the main commentator. MacArthur is one that I usually follow closely, but the commentators point out that that word better would be better translated, not if you have been raised, but since you have been raised, because it's, it's pointing out the reality of the fact that if we're in Christ, we have been raised with him. Bible, we talked about early Galatians 2.22, that him as in Christ is a new creature. Galatians says, uh, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live by faith. I live in the Son, live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that uh, we are associated, we are identified with Christ in his suffering and death. 
that's kind of a, for me, a kind of a hard concept to get clear in my mind at first, because I think of, I'm performing some kind of mental gymnastics. Uh, this is, uh, I'm living in this little fantasy world where I'm trying to see myself in a certain way. The Bible does say, uh, reckon yourself dead in the sand and alive unto God. But it's not talking about just playing mental games, so to speak. It's talking about a reality that we have, we are literally associated with Christ and his suffering and his death. And if we come to him and we bow before him, we will submit to him. Uh, he gives us the strength to, to be associated with him in his life and to die to self. And that's not that's not always fun. The, 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 and I don't and I don't mean to belabor this to make you look like the Christian life is a bad life or a boring life or a hard life. It's it really is a life that's filled with joy. Jesus talked about that. But there's joy. What was it that my wife used to say? Joy in putting Jesus first, others second, and self last. That's J O Y. Rick talks about that. He still remembers when Elaine talked talked about that. But it's true. And if, if we want to, to come to the Lord and to put him first, the byproduct, the one of the big byproducts is joy that comes out of our life. And uh, that's a new revelation sometimes to people when they look at Christians. And sometimes we don't, we don't display joy. We, we, uh, um, Jay Bernard McGee used to say humorously that, Many times Christians look like they were weaned on a dill pickle because they're real kind of a sour expression or whatever. We shouldn't be. We should. I mean, we have every reason to rejoice uh, because everything that matters, that really matters, is settled and that we are secure. That's right. And we can't, we can't really, really do anything to improve on that. Um, and so God is just so good to us. Uh, and so in this. In this text here, when he starts out saying, since you have been raised up, that, that, that is a, a good statement that we have been raised up with Christ and we're associated with him uh, in glory. And the idea of being raised up, I was looking in, uh, I have my little cell phone here that gives me some of the definitions of some of the Greek words, and it, it talks about being uh, raised together. John, in his, uh, his commentary, says you could translate it co-resurrected. And so, whatever, uh, in this passage, we are in union with Christ, and we are, are resurrected to, with him, uh, resurrected and to live, a, to have a resurrected power in our life um, and strength in our lives. I'm finding out that, um, that the power of God to live a resurrected life is still under my control. To a, to a large degree that I can I can listen to the voice of the Spirit of God and I can cooperate with him or I can like lust for example or I can turn my minds away and dwell on something do you understand what I'm saying and uh, I, I don't want to do that I want my life and my heart to really be in tune with the Savior and to really love him and to really put him first and I know you want that too that's really important so here we are in union with Christ and he starts out that text of telling us how we are immersed in Christ. In fact, he talks about that. We were looking at Romans, and uh, in Romans chapter 6, 
Um, he says, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And that the word there, baptized, you probably would, would help us understand it better if you translated immersed. That he's saying there, all of us who were immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death. That's an intimate association uh, between the sinner, if you will, us, and the Savior, and the association of his coming alongside and opening our hearts and bringing us to the point of repentance, giving us faith, and we're crying out to him for mercy, and we surrender to him, and we seek to, to serve him, to live for him. And that idea of being associated is referred to in that word immersed. Now, it is possible in this text, I suppose, that you could interpret that to mean physical baptism, uh, but physical baptism has nothing to do with absolutely uh, saving us. Um, but the we were, you were talking about us being about being anointed. Uh, all believers, if you're a real believer, anointed by the Holy Spirit, we're united by the Holy Spirit. Some people want to draw some kind of distinction, but we are brought together, and we are anointed by Him. And uh, it's not not just it's a it's a glorious. It's a glorious reality of the connection that we have with the God of the universe and what he is doing in our hearts. And so here's this union in this first passage that he talks about here. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, um, and, and that union is such a drastic union, if you think about it. I was thinking of um, Ephesians not to jump away from Paul talking about being immersed in Christ, but in Ephesians, where Paul starts in Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite verses, he says, you were, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Now, now this is talking about, talking about believers, but he's saying that you were, and he puts that in the past tense, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Um, we got a funeral coming up, and I have talked with um, Gerald many times. I will say this, uh, that just the other day, the last time I talked to him, he was more responsive than he's ever been before. And uh, I'm going to latch on to that in the, uh, the, the eulogy or whatever. I'm not going to paint a false picture, but that was a real hope because I really prayed with him, and he really responded to that. That's a good thing. Uh, I don't want to make a false statement of him, but that deadness, it seemed to, he seemed to be more reasonable and more willing to talk as I was talking to him there. And, and I, I looked him in the eyes and I told him uh, that I know that his health is not good. He's not going to be around much longer. He knows that. And uh, I looked him and I said, Daryl, you're in, you've always been very hard-hearted and uh, we're trying to, to talk to, to you and pray for you. And you've got people who love you, people who've been praying for you a long time. And uh, said, I, I want to, I want, with your permission, I want to pray for you now. Would you pray? Can we pray together? And you pray. And he nodded. He said, yes. He didn't say yes. He nodded. And so we prayed. And uh, then I said, let him pray. And of course, he didn't, I, he just mumbled. I couldn't understand the word he said. And I don't know. The Lord knows. He knows that. But I don't want to stand up to the funeral and just say that, that uh, point, you know, push him into hell and say that he's there roasting. I mean, I don't. 
I mean that. But the point I want to make is that the heart is very hard. We're dead. We're spiritually dead. The natural man does not perceive or understand the things of the spirit. He cannot. These are things that are that are spiritually appraised and understood. And uh, Paul tells us in Romans, "The none righteous, no, not one. There's none to understand." The things of God is what he's talking about, and there's none that seek God, all that turned aside together become useless. So that's the condition of us. And so in this passage in Ephesians, he's talking about believers. He said, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly, that's before, formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working and the sons of disobedience. Now, this is a kind of a depraved picture, but it's what he's talking about that, that we were like. It's, a, it's a, <laughs> under the, the power of the world that, that, that Satan is working in, and it's a spirit of disobedience, among whom we also, or we all also, formally conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature, do I know what the Children of wrath. How would you like to be a child under God's wrath? That's what we were. We were children of wrath, under God's wrath. And that, and he says, that's what you were like, even as the rest. But God, that, I love that, that phrase, but God. But God, being rich, that's a good word, wealthy, rich. In mercy. What is it that, that God demonstrated to us, among other things, was mercy. I prayed for that. I've, I've asked the Lord over and over again. I guess he's tired of hearing me say it, but I've asked him for mercy to, to just, because I, my heart is still, even to this day, being a believer, my heart still, uh, I still struggle with lust. I still struggle with self-centeredness. I still struggle with doing my will and surrendering to him. It's a struggle. It's not hard. It's not. It's a lot better than it was, but it's a struggle. I used to do. Uh, never mind. I used to read magazines that you shouldn't read. Anyway, the, the mercy of God, the grace of God, is great. Uh, he is merciful because of His great love. We were talking about that this morning. Remember, His love is is not to be seen simply as an emotion, but it's an active word. It's a provision. It's His great provision uh, with which He uh, provided for us even when we were dead. In transgressions and so this takes place uh, not while we were spiritually alive and spiritually but when we were dead in our transgressions he made us alive together made us alive together with Christ it's with him he is the he is the one that we're united with um, it's by grace you have been saved or delivered we were talking about deliverance it's by grace that you have been delivered it's God's grace, it's God's goodness that you have been delivered, and he's raised us up with him. And here's the passage, and he's seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So here's a place um, of, of authority. Here's a place in glory. He was talks about being Christ being our high priestly prayer, I mean our high priest. Um, <coughs> We are raised up and we are seated with him. That is a place of honor. That's a place of exaltation to be with Christ. We don't deserve that, do we? We don't deserve any of that. And yet he's done that to us. And he does that, verse 7, 
one of my favorite aspects of this verse. So that in the ages, it's not years, those are ages. Ages are measurements of time. I think they are measurements of time from God's perspective outside of the limitations of, of our time frame. It's God's time frame seen from his perspective, which 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 uh, is greater than just limitations of a few years. It's ages, epochs, his work seen from his perspective and what he's doing. And uh, so anyway, these things that he's done, uh, he's done for us so that in the ages to come, he might, and I like the next word, show or demonstrate the surpassing, <laughs> look at this produce, the surpassing riches of his glory, his might, his greatness, his goodness in kindness towards us. So we are What's the, what, what is the, the um, we are physical displays, we are illustrations, we are examples of his goodness to us to be displayed to the rest of the universe. If you want to know what God's grace is like, if you want to know what God's goodness is like, God displays a lot of things, but one of the things that I'm believing has not really been revealed or displayed in eternity past has been God's matchless grace, his goodness, his mercy. I mean, how is he going? He has to have something to display mercy on. Everything obeys perfectly. But we, if I understand that correctly, are going to be his objects, show and tell illustrations of somebody who deserved hell. Do we deserve it? We sure do deserve wrath. We have, we have, in all practical purposes, we, we wouldn't say it this way. But we've kind of spit in God's face. We've clenched our fish, fist in his face. We have decided we're going to do what we want to do rather than what he wants us to do. And so we have hardened our hearts and we've gone our own way, every one of us. And yet he has worked in our hearts and our lives that. He wants to display his grace and his mercy in us even while we were still sinners. That's what he's done. And we'll be illustrations of that. <clears throat> I think our names will be on the program there sometime to share publicly what he has done and what he is doing and how we deserve hell and how he's given us mercy and grace. Uh, we are so, so, so blessed. And so anyway, here's this passage in Ephesians talking about what we were like and now the, the exaltation that we have in God's presence uh, Paul talks about that. We were looking at Romans, then I finished reading, it was in Romans 6. He tells us uh, to consider yourself to be dead to sin. Paul uh, says that since the power of sin has been broken now in us, he says, consider, build on that, consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And don't let sin now reign in your mortal body to obey its lust. Don't let it, which tells us that we can say so, we can say no tells us that we, we, we can make some decisions, and yet those decisions depend on the Spirit of God and the Lord helping us in His Word, giving us a desire to do it. As I said, uh, so often our desire is not to obey at first, but to do what I want to do, and yet God mercifully and graciously works uh, in our hearts to, so that I'm sharing up here now with you. My real passion is to please God. My real desire is to honor Him. My real um, longing is to be used of the Lord and to exalt him 
And so he goes on to say that though you were slaves to sin, you have obeyed God from the heart, that pattern of teaching which you were given over, and having been freed from sin, that, that idea is now we've been freed once and for all. We're with Christ, we're, we're identified with him in his death and resurrection, and we have been freed from sin once and for all. You became slaves of righteousness. That word slaves is the word slave, it's doulos. And so now we are slaves. We were once slaves to sin. Now we are slaves to righteousness. And what is a slave? A slave is a person who doesn't, who is the property of somebody else. And uh, we are the property of Jesus. Over and over again in the New Testament, usually it's the word uh, servant, but translated servant, but actually it's the real word doulos, it's the real word for slave. John MacArthur pointed that out. I, I thought it was very interesting in one of the things he said. He said, in all the translations, we translated servant because we don't want to use the word slave because it has a bad connotation. But biblically speaking, we are slaves. We are slaves. And, and so that's the first point there in that position, that practice, that picture is therefore, since you have been co-resurrected together with Christ, that's our position, then the practice, which we follow up on there right now, uh, is... He says, you keep seeking, that's the present tense, uh, continuous action, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand, that's the place of honor of God. Set your minds on the things above, that is the focus on things above, not on things on the earth. Let's just talk about that for a few minutes. Notice there, he says, keep seeking, uh, which is present tense, which means a continuous action, which is something that we should be doing is to be seeking those things that are above, seeking those things that are associated with Christ. Uh, over and over again, uh, the Bible talks about things that you seek. Um, in Psalm 9, 10, for example, those you know your name, those who know your name will, will put their trust in you, for you, O Yahweh, have not forsaken those who seek you. God loves us. He, he has not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 119, 2, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies. They seek him with all their heart. That's, God helps us to do that. The Lord does that. He opens our hearts. Um, we, we just looked at the word in Romans 3. There's none righteous. Uh, there's none who understand. There's none who seeks for God. All have turn aside. That's the bad condition of what we were like before the mercy of God came and opened our heart, gave us faith, called us to himself and enabled us to follow him. Um, Matthew 6, um, Jesus is talking about, um, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, what you'll wear, the clothing. For all these things the Gentiles seek after, for your heavenly Father knows you have need of all these things. But you, my wife's favorite verse right here, mm -hmm. seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do you do that? Do I do that? I want it, but it, I keep struggling with myself. It's just, it just keeps getting in the way. Hebrews 11, uh, one more verse dealing with seeking is Hebrews 11, without faith. It's impossible to please God, please Him. For he who does draws near, draws near to God. That would have to be in worship and in prayer. He who draws near to God must believe 
that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him or who seek him. And so um, that's a challenge to my heart, and I hope it's a challenge to your heart. Do you seek the Lord? Are you, are you exercised? I mean, we're here at church. Do we come to meet him, to hear his word, or do we have some other agenda? I have to continue. I ask a question to you, but I ask you because I have to question, ask the question myself. What's my motive? What's behind that? Why am I doing that? And so um, we are to seek him, to focus on him. Um, Paul says in Romans uh, 8, 5, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So um, Galatians 6 tells us also, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, whatever you put in your life, whatever you are involved in, your attention and stuff like that, you're going to reap. If you sow to the flesh, if you pursue the flesh, if you are seeking to indulge the desires of the flesh, then you're going to reap spiritual death. If you sow to the spirit and you are reaping the prayer time, your serious study of the word, your desire to church attendance, which is just as important as the rest of it, all these things are important, then you'll reap spiritual life. It depends on what you're sowing to in your life. And remember, that verse is introduced with a little phrase, be not deceived. And the reason it's, it's introduced with that statement, be not deceived, is because here is an area in which we think we can sow to the flesh, but reap a spiritual harvest. And we can't do it. We will not have it. So, sow to the Spirit, contribute to, the, to your growth in the things of the Lord. Paul tells us, I love uh, listening to R.C. Sproul in the uh, in my car. I put a, a CD in Pete's car. He's going to, he likes it. He was in Ecclesiastes and Sproul talks about Ecclesiastes. So, uh, he'd like to hear that. But anyway, uh, his program is called Renewing Your Mind, and that comes from a passage in, in Romans which says, Paul says, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice, holy, living, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Now, why do I say that in the middle of this text? I say that in the middle of this text because Paul is writing here, he's telling us, um, to set your mind, focus your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. So that we should focus our attention on things above, not on things on the earth, to let that statement to, there in Romans cause us to be transformed. How do you renew your mind? I go into the Word. We, we were talking uh, the other day at the Bible study, we were talking about... Um, what can you do to, to help ensure if life gets kind of stagnant or whatever, what can you do to kind of get your feet back on track? We're talking about that. And one of the things I said as I thought about it later, I thought well, that's a pretty good answer, was if you're thirsty, go where there is something to drink. If you're hungry, go where there's food to eat. And so the problem is that if we are Drifting away from that commitment sometimes 
we get dry and we have no desire to come and then that's when we really should come we really should put that priority examine yourself uh, because we don't want that we want whatever and so we just recognize that the life and the purpose is found as we go to the scriptures and renew our mind and, and light that fire um paul says talking about being anxious for nothing says finally brothers whatever is true this is going to be talking about what we think about whatever is true whatever is dignified whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable what if there's any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise consider these things things that you've learned and received and heard and seen and made practice these things let's look at that for just a minute we'll close with this but i don't want to pass over that there's a lot there paul says finally brother so this is this is kind of the summary as he's summarizing some of the things he's been saying to the believers there in philippi finally brothers whatever is true and what he means by that uh, at least the the research i've been doing with the words means whatever is conforms to to reality in other words not don't be living in a fantasy world it's easy to do that as kids we used to do that all the time and, and sometimes it's hard to break away from that when you become an adult because it's easy to live in a fantasy so, no whatever is true whatever is whatever conforms to reality whatever is is dignified and that could be translated reverent or serious, um, not to be kind of flippant, but serious and, and reverent, whatever is right or righteous, whatever is holy or pure, sacred, your word is pure, but it, you can translate that whatever is sacred, whatever is not contaminated, um, whatever is lovely, that a little bit more difficult, maybe agreeable, what you have to agreeable to what would have to be agreeable to the things of, of grace to the word of god and to the truth whatever is agreeable whatever is commendable that, that's the only place this word is used in the bible it, it has to do with things that are good whatever is good whatever and it's an unusual word if there's any excellence or any preeminence you could translate there's any preeminence and that would this we handle things in the scriptures that are all just magnificent the things we deal with are so so many things are preeminent and majestic and great and we sort of get maybe uh yawning or used to these great things we take them for granted because they are we hear them so much which is a good thing uh, if we can and that's why i guess we kind of go over them in the preaching is to just kind of shake off the 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 familiarity and help us to really see really understand what i i'm convinced that when we stand before the lord we will probably be so emotionally overpowered overwhelmed that it will be hard to contain ourselves because we'll see closely in, re in reality the greatness of god's love and god's mercy and conversely the greatness of our sin and, and just really I, I just i i want to be ready for that i don't want to hear the words depart from me you workers of iniquity those that are lawless what's a lawless person a person that does what he wants to do doesn't law that's the description there and, and that 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 describes me sometimes sometimes i just do what i want to do 
and probably you do too. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I want my life to be under the control of the Lord. So He says here, uh, whatever is commendable, uh, things that are good, whatever is excellent or preeminence. We looked at that. If there's any anything that is worthy of praise, uh, praise that's connected particularly with God's glory, then consider, and that idea consider could be take into account or to calculate if there's anything worthy of praise of honor of glory take into account calculate these things the things that you have the bosses the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and we're talking about the god of peace he said the god of peace Will be with you. It matters what you think about. It matters what you focus on. Uh, you, you're not someone's. I, I don't remember where I first heard it, but I have, and you're probably familiar with it too. Somebody said that you're you're not what you think you are, but you are what you think, and that's what true. Whatever goes in your mind, whatever is is in there all the time, it, it makes a difference, uh, and it kind of formulates your character. So anyway. These are two things that we're looking at. We'll have to come back to these. I've been moving kind of slow, mainly because I have not done all the research I'd like to do with it. But this is the practice. And he says, keep seeking those things and uh, set your mind on. You seek those things. Um, and I like the, the continuous presence there, the presence that keep seeking those things that are where Christ is seated at the place of majesty, at the right hand of God. You have access to that right hand of God, by the way. Keep seeking those things that are uh, above where Christ is seated and set your focus, which is the word that I like better, set your mind, your focus on things above, not on the things of earth. <clears throat> Rick told me some time ago, I asked him about the news and things, Pastor, she said, I just am so tired of it. I don't even watch the news anymore. And I can understand that because it's very discouraging. Better to set your mind on things above because the things above are not shaking. It's the things on earth that are shaking. God is on the throne. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the provisions that you've made. Thank you for the access. Even as we come this morning in prayer, come before your throne, you hear us. We have access. This is so staggeringly marvelous that we have access to the very throne of God. That's the most dangerous place in the world. We are safer standing three feet unprotected from the face of the sun than we are standing unprotected in your glory. And yet we have access to your, to your presence. So thank you for that. Thank you for the mercy and the grace that you have displayed. Thank you for caring for us and the marvelous provision that you have made on our behalf. Ask, I pray that you'll help us to comprehend these things and to appropriate these things and to really uh, appreciate the greatness of the association we have being associated with you both in your death and in your resurrection and help us to really honor you and to exalt you, especially in these days when there's such confusion and such uh, depression from so many people. Help us to be lights in the middle of a dark world uh, and help us to be a resource of grace to counteract the despair which is so abundant around us and help us to be uh, able to explain the reason for the hope that we have with us to those that, that you use us to generate 
questions and to generate inquiries in the lives of others about the hope that we have so that we can share the greatness of you and give us wisdom. Help us to know these things so we can explain them to others. In our prayer, Jesus.